Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I am the lead pastor of St. John's Church and School in Denver, Colorado, right across the street from Wash Park. And in this podcast, what we do is we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. We consider what it looks like uh, to be committed to a Christ-centered worldview and operate with that as our lifestyle. This podcast is for you if you are seeking what that might look like or if you have already committed your life to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Transform Podcast. I'm Pastor Andrew Farhat. I'm here with my bride, Daisy. Hello. Welcome back to the show, Daisy. I feel like it's been a long summer without you on the show. Why, thank you. It's good to be back. I, I miss having your wisdom and knowledge on this show, and I can't wait to hear some of your thoughts on this topic because I feel like you have a lot of wisdom on it. So welcome back. Thank you. And we are here and we are going to now dive into some questions that some of you submitted. And this one is, is there beauty in God's design of biblical gender roles? So thanks again for all of the controversial questions. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we will just keep hitting it and we will do our best. And so uh, this was, this is something though, that I think that has been dear to your heart in your life. Would you say? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think I, with divorced parents, um, it was something that like I knew that's not what I wanted in my in my future with my marriage. I wanted um, you know a strong, healthy, biblical, godly relationship. And it sounds like with your parents, you didn't get to witness uh, two believers who were trying to live this out. Yeah, for sure. So. First thing I want to do before we go in and tackle this question is just have, you know, just some things to say up front is first, um, this is not our idea, right? Like what we're going to talk about today is not our design or idea or how we think things should be, but rather I think it's more how we understand God to create us, how God's designed us to flourish. And I think we're still continuing to grow in our understanding of his beautiful design. Mm -hmm. And I think we see it as beautiful now, but I don't think that's the way we've always seen it. And I think that's due to some misunderstandings. So um, Daisy, you met me uh, when I was, let's see, how old were we when we met? uh, uh, 23. 23 years old. Okay. So we were 23 years old. Thank you for uh, reminding me of our dates and all of that. Um, But when you met me, you know, I thought, you know, I was a Christian, you were a believer, but I think that I had no teaching on these passages. Mm -hmm. I was aware of these passages, but at the church that I was currently attending, it was all about what those passages didn't mean anymore. So I never really knew what they meant. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, well, yeah, there's some archaic stuff in the Bible about gender. And, you know, we have progressed now. So we're going to do things a little different. I had never heard anything. So I remember we were at our home in Port Orchard, Washington. And we were not yet married yet, but I think we were having a conversation. And you were like, if we're going to get married, you're going to be the head. And I was like... (laughs) are we in like another country right now? Or are we in, are we in like the Seattle area? Cause I was just thrown off by that. But can you share a little bit why that just expand a little bit more about why that was 
dear to your heart. Yeah, I think I also grew up in a church where that wasn't, you know, the, the passages in the Bible, which there are quite a few that talk about um, gender and our relationship to each other as different genders and a relationship to the Lord and the church. Um, I also grew up in a church. It was a wonderful church, but I don't think that was ever talked about. And then um, in college, I ended up going to a church where they did talk about it. And um, they talked about, like, what do these passages mean and how do we faithfully live this out as Christians. And to me, it was really like exciting because like here was a church that was reading the Bible and saying, how do we take this seriously? And how do we live this out? And not only let's take it seriously, but what's the blessing in it? And so I was able to start understanding what is the blessing on um, having like what's called complementarianism now traditionally in the church. It's kind of the way that people refer to it as is men and women are created 100% completely equal in the eyes of God, but with different gifts and different passions and how does God use that differently to complement each other within a marriage? And so how are men and women different but equal and how does that work in a marriage to most glorify God and lead to the most flourishing in a marriage? And so when I started learning about this, it just really, um, it just got me excited about what was possible in a marriage and in a church going forward. Absolutely. And I think that if I can just be real and reflect, I think you threw me off guard when you brought all that to the table. Uh, But then I think what it did is it woke me up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like you caused me to also hear some biblical teaching on it to understand it better, but then it woke me up and it caused me to step up. Mm-hmm. So it was like when I reflect on my experience with you and sharing this biblical teaching with me, it caused me to be a better man. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting thing as we look back on it and think about like the point of it is it's not to create male chauvinists, but it's to create more men that are seeking to imitate Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so you basically said, all right, you're going to need to serve this, serve me and our family, by God's grace, if we have one, and we do now, we have four, um, like Jesus. And so that was a significant. Um, You mentioned complementarianism. That is now a view that seeks to understand the biblical uh, teaching and design for gender roles. Um, and so I think that there's a book called Biblical Manhood and Womanho- Womanhood, edited by Grudem and Piper, which has a series of essays from scholars who do believe in the biblical teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do recommend that. We think it's very good. Um, and so, so again, this is not our idea, but it's God's idea. It's us trying to unpack it. Um, another thing I think I would say, too, is we always share our presuppositions. And one of our presuppositions on here is that we have found beauty in the Holy Scriptures. We have found that God's word does bring life, that it does bring blessing. We have not flourished in churches where uh, God's word was not in authority. What would you say are some dangers when you are in a church where God's word is not the authority? Like what could happen? Well, the biggest danger is that there is no authority, and so there's not anywhere that you can go to for truth anymore. And I think um, one of the 
biggest, most important aspects of Christianity, especially in our culture today, is that there is a source of truth and there is a source of authority. And that truth and authority brings life and it brings um, flourishing and it brings freedom. But if, if you don't have that truth to go to, then you have no um, way of just stabilizing your life and your beliefs. And it's just kind of you're free floating without anything to hold on to. And I remember back in the day, we, li- we lived in St. Louis, and it was one of your friends who was visiting us who wasn't a Christian. And we somehow got onto this topic of the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And she said, and even though she wasn't a Christian, I remember she said, if Christians don't believe in the Bible, they're going to just conform to what we want. Mm-hmm. And so she was just saying basically that she didn't respect that because we're not being true to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's eye-opening, that a non-believer is expecting us to stand on something rather than just saying all of the same things that the culture is saying. Um, And so also, um, so I guess what we would invite you to is if you are out there and you're listening and you haven't yet uh, accepted the lordship of Jesus, that means he's in charge, that means he's the lord of your life. Uh, If you're out there and you haven't yet accepted the authority of scripture, we would invite you to tune in to one of our previous episodes where we dived in deep on why we believe in the authority of Scripture. Pastor P.J. Arsvald has been a guest on this show and has explained that in, in a good way. But what we, want you in, what, we, what we want you to consider is not just settling for not believing in Scripture, but to pursue it. You know, pursue the arguments for believing in it or not. Pursue the arguments for believing that Jesus is risen from the dead, that he is the Lord of all, and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Those are some strong claims that you got to do something with, right? Yeah. Don't just let it sit. Nope. All right. So let's start from the beginning. I'm going to quote from Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And I think that if we don't know God's plan for gender from the beginning, then obviously we're not going to understand and we're going to have a lot of confusion and conflict and misunderstandings and I think expectations that are not being met. So here is Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Two things that just strike me. It's so true. When men are alone, it is not good. Um, so, yeah, like I, I'm sure we could think about um, just probably several examples. But one uh, funny person said, men are like milk. Women are like wine. Women tend to get better over time. Men begin to smell funky. Um, and so that one's still funny to me. I think it's worn <laughs> off for you. Um, but basically, um, I think it's so true. And then also it says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Um, so in the Hebrew, what is stated here when it talks about helper is a helper that's just the right complement for him. So she's going to be different than him. Wired different, thinks different, <laughs> but yet a great compliment for him. Now, with that said, I want to just celebrate something. In the scriptures, we see male and female. 
men and women, two different genders. I feel like that word in our culture is so charged now just to say the word gender. But is, it, is there a way that we can just redeem the beauty of it again and say, you know what? God has made men from Mars and women from <laughs> Venus and it's okay and it's good. I was, um, when researching you know, our podcast, I read this article um, by Mary Cassian where she talks about complementarianism and she um, says something really great about that point exactly. She um, says, though both sexes bear God's image fully on their own, each so does so in a unique and distinct way. Male and female in relationship reflects truths about Jesus that aren't reflected by male alone or female alone. So what she's saying is like we can't even understand a full picture of God unless we see both genders there. We can't understand fully what the church is and what Jesus is like through just a male gender or just a female gender. Like they both bring really unique and beautiful things to the table. Wow, that is so powerful. Um, I really love what you just said about the beauty of God's design and just, yeah, we need both. We need both. We are different. And what would happen if we missed out on both perspectives? Mm. My goodness. All right, another thing. It says that the women is going to be the helper, Daisy. In the Hebrew, this word is also used for God. Mm-hmm. It's not like meant to be like, oh, you're you're just going to be my personal assistant, right? I think that's probably a fear when women hear this in the 21st century. But the word in the Hebrew is used for God at times, and it means strong helper. It doesn't mean weak helper, but strong helper. Also, I want to say this. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is called helper. So when we think about this word helper, it's not weak, but it's strong. And without the Holy Spirit, people are not born again. Without the Holy Spirit, the church can't grow. Without the Holy Spirit, the church can't flourish. And so um, there's so many. And remember, like, I feel like when we get into this concept of biblical gender roles, I feel like God's giving us a lot of paradigms, but yet it's all for the same function. So the function is that Uh, Both genders would flourish together, but yet there's different uh, words that are used to describe each person's role. And so, um, Daisy, I just wanted to ask you this question. And this is, I think, very much a question that I would imagine, especially from Bible studies we've taught, that the ladies might say, what does it look like Mm -hmm. to be the helper Mm -hmm of my husband. And let's make it clear. This is not of all men. The Bible isn't talking about like, just, you know, be the helper for all men, but it's, (laughs) this is talking about marriage, right? Right. Right. So that's the foundation of what God has to say about um, biblical generals, but go ahead. Yeah. So recently, I think within the past couple of years, we were meeting with our Bible study group and this just really stood out to me. One of the women we were talking about this subject and Um, She's like, you know, just because of connotations, I kind of have a rough time with the word helper. Like, could we use the word empower? And, you know, I kind of thought about it for a little bit. Like, I don't know. Is that okay? But then, yeah, I think that really 
um, is more of a word that we can resonate with culturally right now, and it does mean the same thing. Like, how can we empower our husbands to flourish in their um, relationships, in their um, leadership of the family and the children? How can we empower them in their role that God's given them? Um, And I think it feels empowering as a woman to be able to help empower your husband in his role. Wow. So that's a strong word. And I think it totally captures the biblical narrative. And I would imagine all the men I know would say, wow, how awesome would that be to be in a marriage where I felt empowered? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's a nice, that's a nice concept. And I guess, Daisy, here's a question I have. What do you think people are afraid of? when it comes to this whole topic and concept, like I feel like we're unpacking it in a really healthy way, but like, what are, what are people afraid of? I think a big one is um, often in a marriage, a woman is afraid that her husband is not going to either make the best decision or make a decision that she would make. And so I think that that fear of losing control to someone that maybe you don't trust Maybe you don't trust that they're going to be able to do a good job and you want to do it because you feel like you could do a better job. Okay. So what would you say if, and again, the the beauty of this whole thing is when you have two believers Mm -hmm. that are empowered by the Holy Spirit, seeking to serve each other for the purpose of flourishing. When husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and wives seek to respect their husbands. And this is all Ephesians language, which we'll get into. Um, So I think we need to state that up front, that all of this is assuming a biblical paradigm where two people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But then I guess, Daisy, what would you say to a woman that doesn't trust her husband's competence? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think... You know, sometimes that fear is understandable. Maybe your husband hasn't made good decisions always. But I think that part of empowerment is um, helping your husband to grow, having those conversations, but at the same time, like knowing that you are safe with God and that if your husband is a believer and he's seeking after the will of God and he believes in the authority of God, that he's going to be making the best decisions for you and your family. And is he going to do that perfectly? No, of course not. Sometimes he is going to make a decision that you don't agree with, or he's going to do something that maybe wasn't the best decision. But through the Lord, there's huge amounts of growth through that. Growth that couldn't happen if your husband isn't empowered to be able to lead the family. All right. So I imagine... I mean, like what you're saying is so beautiful, but I imagine some people would push back and say, well, what if he's abusive or what if he's not a Christian or, you know, all of these different scenarios. And I guess what I'm going to just take that one and say, okay, so physical abuse is a crime. We're called to, there's uh, authority in the Bible. So there's uh, wives submitting to their husbands, etc. Parents submitting to their, or sorry, children submitting to their parents. Um, there is, but there is above all of that is submitting to the governing authorities, 
That's Romans 13. And then above all of that is us submitting to God. So there's never a context where on this teaching of biblical authority, that if the authority figure is sinning or leading you to sin, that you're called to just submit to that environment, that that's not it. But you should call the police. You should tell your pastor. Um, there should be repercussions if someone is being physically abusive. Um, so no, you're not called to submit in that instance, because remember our ultimate submission is to Christ over everything. Um, and then you tackled the issue of incompetency, I think in a really good way. And then also, I think when you say this too, Daisy, like if you are in a marriage and there is some struggle, like, Hey, we're trying to live out this, uh, design of biblical gender roles, but my husband is incompetent. Like, man, I think that that would be good to like lean into. Okay. So can we go to counseling together? Can we go talk to our pastor? Can we go talk to a biblical counselor about this? And can we grow? Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. There's a lot of resources out there to help people. Um, also, the Lord's there to help you. So I've seen, I've seen all of those things you mentioned help. But I think we forget like to go to the Lord in prayer. And that is how he has promised to work, and he does work, and I've seen it over and over again. I think the pushback on this is when you have men that are messed up. But I think Scripture's solution is not, let's just throw out the whole design, but let's fix the men. And we do have a male problem in our country. Mm -hmm. And these statistics, this following stat is from the U.S. Census Bureau 2022. There are currently 18.4 million children, that's one in four, without a biological step or adoptive father in their homes. 18.4 million in our country. And then this, these other statistics are from the National Fatherhood Initiative 2019 Father Facts 8th edition. That research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, they are affected in the following ways. Four times greater risk of poverty. More likely to have behavioral problems. Two times greater risk of infant mortality. More likely to go to prison. More likely to commit a crime. Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. More likely to face abuse and neglect. More likely to abuse drugs and al alcohol two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of school. Wow. So my question is, man, I think that when I see this, I'm thinking there's a design that God made. But when we don't align with it, there's consequences. And I think we're trying so many different things to help all of these situations, but I think God's hitting the nail on the head. Men, step up. Men, be responsible. Men, love your wives. Men, serve your families. Uh, live like Jesus. Love like Jesus, because that's what's going to be the best. That's what's going to help you flourish and them flourish and everybody else flourish. There's no, I think what we, research has shown there's no substitute for men stepping up in, in communities. Like they need to do 
their part. And again, this is not to say that women don't have a beautiful, empowering, great role to play in communities. That's not what the biblical design is about. But again, I think what we are reacting to is a, is a culture that I think is weakening men. I think what we're like on here on this podcast, I think we're reacting to a culture that's weakening men rather than empowering men. And we're trying all kinds of things to fix the problem, but it's not getting fixed. Let's talk about Ephesians chapter five, Daisy. Let's jump to the new Testament. This is a uh, prominent new Testament passage in the Bible. And it is also uses controversial language and I think we could use your help, okay? Sounds okay, good. You're going to help us out. Here it is. It says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. All right, so like right out of the gate, I bet there's like listeners, 21st century America, like what? Like what is that? That obviously doesn't work. But I think what we're doing right now isn't working either. The divorce rate's higher than it's ever been. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and his himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. But then I think the next part's important. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I remember Pastor Mike Gaffney he was the pastor at the University Presbyterian Church. He led a ministry called The Inn. That's the ministry in the context where Jesus found me. And he told a bunch of single men, he said, Men, if you are not willing to die for your wife, don't marry her. Mm. And I think I'll never forget that. Mm -hmm. um, because what he was doing was he was unpacking headship. So I think what we get concerned with is that headship is chauvinistic. But in the Bible, it's the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. It's, man, I'm going to love my wife so much that I die to my self-interest and serve her and my family. I'm going to do what's best for my family every day. And so I was wondering if you could expound a little bit more on what you see headship as according to the scriptures. Well, first, I want to just talk about, like, I think we read this with certain cultural presuppositions that we bring to the table, but just like how revolutionary this teaching was at the time and how transformative to the way that women were treated, especially in the ancient world. Like this, this teaching to love your wives as Christ loved the church was unheard of culturally. It just wasn't something that was practiced at all like quite the opposite was practiced women were abused women were taken advantage of women were commodities they were property and this really shows that like a christian vision of the world does not treat women like this at all um, I just read something recently someone posted this on facebook about um, a historian not um, the actor but the historian tom holland and then um it was kind of a synopsis of some of his writings, but I went and read some interviews with him, and I think the synopsis is entirely accurate, but um, it says, while studying the ancient world, Holland writes, he realized something. Simply, the ancients were cruel, 
and their values utterly foreign to him. The Spartans routinely murdered imperfect children. Hmm. The bodies of slaves were treated like outlets for the physical pleasures of those with power. Infanticide was common. The poor and the weak had no rights. How did we get from there to here? It was Christianity, Holland writes. Christianity revolutionized sex and marriage, demanding that men control themselves and prohibiting all forms of rape. Christianity confined sexuality with monogamy. Christianity elevated women. In short, Christianity utterly transformed the world. So I think that's very helpful to keep in mind as you come to these passages that um, Christianity gave an unheard of level of respect to women. Amen. Amen. And that's the way it should be. And when we reflect on this, we can say any culture or or paradigm or philosophy or religion that's demeaning or devaluing women, that's not God's design. But what you shared is culturally God's design. It's elevating the dignity, the value, and the worth of women. And that is what I love. And so I think you're hitting the nail on the head because I think the biggest fear that people have with this subject is that that is not what's happening. Mm-hmm. but that is not the biblical paradigm. So again, like um, if you're out there and you're struggling with your marriage or you're struggling with this, please know that we want both male and female to see their God-given role in its fullness. And when both are doing their parts, there's great flourishing, you know? And, and so I think we react when one person isn't doing their part. But man, there's beauty when both uh, men and women are doing their parts. And so question for you, Daisy, does this teaching mean that women should not have careers, but have more traditional homeward roles? Um, I think that is not something that is a biblical teaching. I think um, women biblically are supposed to care for their families. And that is um, something that's really good, just as men are supposed to sacrifice for their families. But I think women having careers, um, like culturally things change, financially things change. Like what you figure out that works for your family where you're flourishing is, is going to be the best for your family. Yeah. So I think that, again... God gives macro paradigms for us, but then how it plays out in each generation, in each culture, at each time, there's, he gives freedom. So God's word doesn't say women should cook, right? Like it doesn't say <laughs> women should do the laundry. It doesn't say women should clean the bathrooms. It never says any of that. Um, so, but I wonder if that's what people think when they hear this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's so, again, it's not necessarily about all of those job descriptions, if you will, but honoring and loving God's design and and knowing your position on the team. And, you know, it's going to look different in different families. So, all right. And then finally, I'd ask this. Is submission a bad thing in the Bible? Because it's not just... Wives submit to husbands that we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we see. We see a lot of where Christians are called to have give and take, submit to each other. Um, 
you know, and you were you were going to say something. Well, the most important one is, of course, Christ submitting to the Father, and that's the ultimate example as Christians that we follow is Christ's submission to the Heavenly Father. Beautiful. Daisy always like plays her aces, I feel like, on this show. So <laughs> Christ is, man, he's perfect. Mm-hmm. He's the son of God. So if he did it, it must not be a bad thing. But what he is doing is showing that it's voluntary. And he's showing us what greatness look li- looks like. You know, <laughs> greatness is yeah, how can we show honor and respect? He showed honor and respect to the Father's mission, and he laid down his life for the sins of the whole world. Wow, that's an amazing, humble thing. And in healthy relationships, man, that's going to be a part of it. There's going to be honoring each other, and uh, that is a huge, huge example you just bring, you brought up. So I feel like, Daisy, when I hear and just want to summarize everything, because I know you got to get back um, to your uh, ELC program over there, um, because I I snatched you away, is I feel like the big word today I would take away is empower. Mm -hmm. Um, The Bible says the deepest thing a man wants is respect. Um, The deepest thing a woman wants is love and security. If we empower each other in our God-given roles to bring about those two different functions, I could see marriages operating in a healthy fashion. And I think, like you were alluding to a few minutes ago, it's not that we just see this in marriage either. We see this in all relationships. Any healthy relationship needs needs this healthy give and take and empowering and working together for the health of the relationship. So I think we tend to make headship and submission this big, scary thing that we don't understand and we don't want to do. But I think, you know, we we understand what it takes to make relationships work. And we're called to do that in so many areas of our life. So I would say, like, with our husbands and our wives, it's probably better to not make it this big, scary thing, but just lovingly think, how can I best support my spouse? What do they need from me? And what can we do to make this relationship godly and support our children and help them flourish? What's the best for flourishing here and not make it too complicated? I love that. And Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give up my life as a ransom for many. The Christian paradigm of marriage is to serve. Mm-hmm. That's it. And I think that's what you just mm-hmm. said. And, and I think an application for this would be, as we wrap things up, is, okay, well, if this is God's design and it's good and it's beautiful, we shouldn't fear it. And then what would that look like in a church, in the church's ministry? How can marriage as the foundation of gender roles then also be reflected in this fashion and we empower Um, both men and women in different roles to complement each other, to use their gifts spiritually, and that the beauty of both men and women are utilized in the church. Um, And then we see great fruit in the ministry as well. Um, I think that that is a question that I'll just kind of just leave out there hanging, um, and I'll let people make applications as they desire. 
but I will just wrap it up there. Daisy, welcome back. Thank you. It was great to have you today. It's great to be here. Um, I think that our listeners missed you on the show. <laughs> I missed you. And if you are listening and you have a question that you'd like us to answer on this podcast, please submit it to hello at sjdenver.org. We want to be a podcast that helps you follow Jesus. And I think that's our mission. Um, and so if you've been blessed by this or you'd like to subscribe or follow or share, we would encourage you to do so as we seek to help people follow Jesus in their lives, in their families, and in their churches. See you next time. Take care.